food is the epicenter of community and family. Food is the one thing that can always bring us together. You know, it's something that can always make me feel at home. It's just a practice that I can carry out to my community as well. When I meet someone new and I want to show them how I care about them or welcome into my circle, um, I always cook something for them. It's a way of just showing love. Welcome back to V or Queer. Sorry, y'all, that, you know, recording has kind of been not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, I guess, active <laughs> or scheduled just because we're all trying to practice social distancing, obviously, and trying to talk to guests is a little bit harder. But thank y'all for hanging on and, you know, turning to us for your chosen entertainment during this fucking pandemic but if this is your first time listening uh we are rear queer and lgbtq uh podcast that where we focus on black and brown voices and um my name is julian and then we have indisha and my and if this is not your first time listening to us then thanks for you know coming back my indisha how are y'all meet uh what are you saying indisha I just said I'm okay. That's it. Just okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's excited. it. That's, you know, shit's happening in New York, so. Yeah, how are you holding up in New York? Um, I'm all right. Just, like, in the house, fucking bored, but. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't want to complain about being bored, but it's, like, one of those things where I didn't realize how much being stuck at home kind of sucks a little bit. Mm-hmm. I like I am kind of a homebody but I am still a little bit of an extrovert and it, the only people that I talk to pretty regularly are like my coworkers, and not that there's anything wrong with them but it's just like damn I want to like see my friends you know yeah um, like even doing it virtually still kind of like sucks and I'm just really glad I live with my partner because I have I would lose my goddamn mind if um if I was living by myself still, right? But yeah, I, I think this this self-quarantine thing is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be just because, you know, I, I work from home and I'm basically stuck at home. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very grateful that I do have income coming in. Very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. But it still sucks that I'm confined to my apartment, basically. Um. And, you know, my, my partner is an essential worker, so he's at work right now. But the other day we had like a heart to heart about like the perspectives of how we're dealing with the self-quarantine. Like for him, he's like, well, I have to go out there and potentially expose myself. And I'm just like, yeah, I hear you. But at least you can like see people and like talk to people. And you know, we both just kind of had this like aha moment of like how this quarantine like is affecting both of us differently. Um, but how have y'all been managing through this whole thing? Um, I've been knitting a lot and I've also been going on Instagram. There's this, uh, this Instagram called club quarantine and like every night they have like a different, a few different DJs on like zoom 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a bunch of really cute queers just dancing around with like their roommates or by themselves or with their pets. So I've been doing that for the last like three nights um, just because I am an extrovert and I like to go out dancing. And the fact that I can't do that, even though I rarely did it to begin with, the fact that it's no longer an option for me, I'm just like, yeah. nah, I got to get this out. So I just dance with strangers on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually really cool. What do you call it? It's called Club Quarantine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have an Instagram page and I think it's like Eastern Standard Time. So um, they're probably like somewhere cool, like New York or something. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's different DJs every night um, and they just spin and put different people on the screen when they're like dancing around and stuff. And yesterday mm-hmm. I like danced in a little like bikini and I did pole stuff and everything and it's like, I got a lot of compliments and it inflated my ego and I just <laughs> yeah I just used that energy to stay up until seven o'clock in the morning so it's amazing <laughs> yeah no, that's actually really cool I need to look into that and kind of going off what you were saying like that's what sucks is that you don't have the option anymore to do mm-hmm. things that you want to go do like even right now um Jake and I really like to go hiking and the state parks are temporarily closed right now which I totally get why I that's not like I get it but it's like damn like I really can't do a whole lot and like I am also happy that we like I have uh, my Nintendo Switch because I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing and I've been able to you know play with my other friends and so I still feel connected in some way and that's been really really helpful for my own mental health right and also I can still see my therapist so that's really really nice um but my, what about you? How are you holding up? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, yeah, I wanted to say something about with Indisha when she was talking about your Zoom stuff. But yeah, I had a Zoom get together thing, um, and it was that was cool. It was for a friend's like birthday, and he did like a DJ set of like friends that that I kind of that I knew. Um, and that was exciting, but it was funny because someone hacked our Zoom thing and just like start started talking shit. <laughs> like apparently there's some guy like jacking off, which is hilarious. Um, oh, gross! I know. Amigo, amigo of them. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know that that could happen. Like people could hack, but yeah, I guess apparently if you don't have like a good enough password or whatever. But on top of that, honestly, I've been cooking a lot that's like what's been taking a lot of my time and that's nice yeah. um i can eat but i do miss yeah. eat. and speaking of cooking that's what our episode's going to be about um if you're just not tuning in um we have some awesome guests talking about food and community stuff and yeah and that's what i've been doing it's like cooking yeah like i have been having to get really creative with what's in my kitchen since um you know we're trying to not go to the grocery store that much Mm -hmm. and that's also kind of why i'm really excited about this episode too because these are people that um you know that we know back from home that make really amazing food and want to talk about it with us and so i think that this will be kind of a nice like cool chill episode of like shit's hard but let's talk about food because everyone likes food 
So for today's episode, we have Vernus talking to Gianna and I believe Honeybee from Houston. And they're going to be talking about basically food and cuisine. And they're going to be talking about sort of like their ventures and like what they love most about food and, you know, being really connected to food and culture. And I, I did enjoy listening to this episode a lot, especially because, you know, Gianna is uh, really great and I love their vegan how do you say csmas no 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 it's somosamias somosamias yeah um our live yeah 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 their food is delicious yeah so we're going to go ahead and kick off the episode thanks All right, so I am Vernice McFarlane, and we are back for another episode of V Queer. And this time we have L. Bunny Woods, and we have Gianna, two individuals making waves in the culinary field here in Houston, Texas. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having us on today. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on, Vernice. Yes, I'm so glad that you guys could make it on. Like, I've been really, really excited about this episode. Um, when they gave the topic food, I was like, well, how do you guys feel about how foods cultivate community? For me, um, food is a huge part of community for me, how um, I interact with my family and people around me and even my loved ones. Um, Food is how when I meet someone new and I want to show them how um, I care about them or welcome into my circle, um, I always cook something for them. It's a way of just showing love um, to individuals. And so knowing that about both of you individuals, um, starting with you, um, 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 Bunny, what, what inspires you about food and community? Okay, so for me, food and community is, is family. Uh, you know, cause it's, it's a little different, like, you know, so food is the, I feel like food is the epicenter of community and family because food is the one thing that can always bring us together. It always can bring us together. No matter what's going on in life, food always bring us together, where it's a family reunion, a party, a funeral, or anniversary, a wedding food is always the epicenter of it. So when I think about food, I think about family automatically, especially with community, because, you know, it's the gathering place. It, it's the it's the one quintessential thing that brings us together. And, you know, I always have a love for food because of my family, because that's where my love for food came from. So it always ties to me because, as we know, in community, we build we build family in community. Like we meet friends who become our family members. You know, we meet, we meet people who may become our children. Like, you know, you know, you have that paternal or maternal instinct towards them. They become your family. So food is the one thing that always ties us all together. And that's something that's always been a part of me because of where food, my background in food comes from my grandmother and my dad. So, you know, it's always was the one thing that brought people together, no matter what was going on. You know, my grandmother, my dad was amazing cooks. And like, you know, if you heard anything about them cooking, it brought people over. And, you know, food brings out conversations and feelings and energy. So for me, I feel like food is the epicenter of bringing community and family all together and as one. So beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, what about you, Gianna? Um, so likewise, um, you know, some of my earliest memories are 
of eating with my family. Um, to this day, you know, I still, uh, like living independently, still call my mom and ask her, you know, how did she, how did she used to make, um, certain things that we ate growing up. And, you know, it's something that can always make me feel at home. Um, you know, despite like having moved so many different places, it's something that, you know, just always makes me feel grounded. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a practice that I can, um, carry out through, um, to my community as well. And, uh, since starting this small business and really just, um, cooking a lot more, I've been able to just connect with so many different types of people who are now some of the best friends and like family, you know, that I've ever had. And, um, you know, I just am really grateful for the ways that we are able to connect through, you know, whether it's just, um, cooking together or sharing food with others. Um, you know, especially right now too, with, um, with all of the social distance happening, um, you know, it's still been a way to connect with, uh, with people, you know, even though we can't see each other, I had a couple of friends come and drop by produce that they had grown in their garden. You know, we're kind of struggling to make ends meet right now. And, you know, they're still able to extend that to us and to others. And it's just really cool to be able to see, you know, the different uh, things that people are creating out of something that came from the same place and the same people. Um, you know, how many different ways that we can all just kind of make it our own and, um, you know, just share that with each other. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So one of my favorite movies is, and it's not, it doesn't really have to relate to food. Um, well, my favorite, but my favorite movie um, is Brown Sugar. Um, in the movie, they ask, when did you fall in love with hip hop? Um, so I'm going to pose the question a little different to you guys. When did you fall in love with food? What about you, Gianna? Um, so I really started falling in love with food from a young age, but um, it was something I was always interested in just as a hobby. Um, you know, cooking with my dad sometimes and, um, you know, especially around the holidays. Um, but since, you know, just um, the past few years, um, my life has changed a lot. I ended up being uh, diagnosed with an illness that paralyzed me from my hips down. Um, it was called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, I've since been diagnosed with the chronic uh, version of that same illness. Um, but during that time, the initial onset of all of those symptoms, I really just had to learn to do a lot of things all over again. Um, I lost my job working as a photographer and really wasn't not able to leave the house, you know, more than a couple times a month. And so, you know, I had just very limited resources and very limited abilities, physical abilities. And so cooking for me was just one of the things that I could do at home. And, uh, you know, especially once I started regaining some of my strength, um, because this illness did paralyze me from my hips down, but it impacted the rest of my body as well, from my speech to my hands being, um, you know, locked up. I really had to just learn a lot of skills all over again. And, uh, so cooking for me was just a way to strengthen myself to learn new things. And so that's, you know, uh, also since I was, um, not employed at that time, it was just a way for me to, um, you know, just stay active, 
and do something that I had always wanted to do, but, you know, maybe just didn't have the time for previously. Um, so that for me is when I really fell in love with, uh, with cooking, with food, and just started to learn a lot more about uh, my own roots through the practice of cooking. So, yeah. Okay. What about you, Bunny? Well, first, Jan, that was amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, for me, I can remember at the age of maybe like four or five years old, um, when I was a kid, like, you know, a lot of my cousins on my on my mom's side, a lot of us are close in age. And I was a little kid who didn't like to get dirty. I was not I was a little kid who didn't like to play outside. And I can remember one day my grandmother pulling me in the kitchen. And I remember, I can visualize it right now, me standing on a chair rolling meatballs at like five years old. And from there, it just continued to grow because that was a time I was really close to my grandmother. That was a time I got to spend with my grandmother. So, you know, that was that was our time, you know, no matter how many my siblings, my cousins over there, it was our time to spend together. And, you know, cooking just became a part of me. Like even when I finished high school, my parents were shocked that I didn't go to school for culinary arts. But for me, it was like. I already know how to cook. I don't want to go go to school for that. So even when in college, like my friends, like I always call my apartment the house that Jack built because everybody always wants to come over for dinner. They knew I always had a hot meal cooked. And it was it was always that. Like, you know, I always had food. Like, you know, so it's something that just stuck with me. And even after I finished college and I finished my master's, you know, food has always been something that's always been close to my heart. And, you know, we're friends on Instagram and stuff. If you ever check like my page, my my hashtag always say doing the thing I love away from everyone because my grandmother and my dad are now deceased. I feel like that's the one place that I connect with them. You know, I can zone out. And that's like me spending time with them, having those memories of like cooking and learning new things and doing new things, you know, I'm from New Orleans, so, you know, food is a big old part of where I'm from. So that's me connecting with them and honoring them and respecting them as I continue to grow my own craft. Because, like I tell my friends, like when people ask me how I cook, I say I cook like people, grandmothers. Like, you know, me being very young, you know, when you think about cooking, you think about older people in the kitchen, like the movie Soul Food, like, you know, kind of like that. So for me, cooking is always about me connecting with my my dad and my grandmother, the things that I learned and the memories that I made in that gathering. Like, you know, even I can remember as a kid, like I grew, I grew really tall very quickly. Like with my siblings, like by the time I was 11, I was already like five, eight, five, nine. So I was already cooking on the stove by myself before I was a teenager. So I think about all those memories, how I, I, how I evolved as a cook, as a person, because I don't consider myself a chef. I just consider myself a great cook because I didn't go to school for that. But cooking is the one thing that I, my passion comes from the memories that I built with my grandmother and my dad. And that's the one place that I can commune with them spiritually and mentally and always think about them because that's my, that's the place that I can zone out no matter what things are going on in life. Food is the one thing that always makes me feel better. Whether I'm cooking for myself or cooking for family or cooking for an event, that's the one thing that always brings me back to thinking about the times I share with my grandmother and my dad. Thank both of you guys for sharing. For me, I can totally relate to that from what both of you guys are saying and how um, food is, 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 is passed down generationally for family and how it, it's so important for us to just carry those things on. Um, for me, 
growing up in Sunnyside, my Mima, um, I remember vividly two two very distinct um, experiences around food. My Mima uh, would always have like the the Dutch oven on the stove, and that's mainly what she would cook in. And it was the big one that had to sit on two eye, two eyes to, for you to cook on it. And she would always make like something, whether it was like a gumbo or she was making some kind of stew. And one of my favorite things that she would always cook is was chicken creole. And so whenever I want to like cook something for somebody to like, to just, you know, bring them into the family or show them respect or love. Chicken and Creole is something um, that I've always, I always cook for people. And then growing up, I grew up on trail rides. So I always had, like, an experience around, like, community cooking. As far as, like, if you've ever been to a trail ride, there's always a ton of people out in one area. Or if you go to multiple stations, like, from... Um, riding club to riding club, there's always um, a cook who's having this massive display around what it is they're cooking, whether it's some kind of gumbo or they're barbecuing or um, they're frying fish or whatever the case may be. It was always a communal experience for me around that. And I was, I know that reading about both of you guys, I I found out that both of you guys um, are actually vegan. And so um, how, how does that show up in the way that you cook food for other individuals? Um, how does it show up for you, Bunny? Well, I'm actually not vegan. I'm pescatarian. Uh, but, oh, of course, okay. when I eat this seafood, I, I do have vegan options. Uh, I've been pescatarian for about, uh, about two years and seven months. Uh, for me, I think my gift is my nose. I have my, my, nose, I'm, my senses are very sensitive. So, and you've experienced my cooking before. And for me, like, I've always been taught how, you know, the thing about New Orleans food, you know, and I think that's where a lot of people hit miss the mark because, you know, you go to like, say like Seattle or something, you see a, a New Orleans style restaurant. So people automatically run to it because they know New Orleans is the epicenter of, you know, Creole and New Orleans cuisine and Cajun cuisine. But like, if you're a true person, if you're really from New Orleans, you know, our food is seasoned. You know, people think of Cajun and Creole as spicy. Uh, but, you know, people's idea of spicy is not the same as someone from New Orleans. And it's just my opinion. You know, when people think about Cajun, here they throw a bunch of cayenne pepper on top of it and call it Cajun. Heat's supposed to hit you in the back. So back to senses. So for me, my nose is very sensitive. So whenever I'm cooking for other people, if I can smell the seasoning, it's seasoned enough. And it's worked for me ever since, so I'm not going to change that, you know. Uh, and that, of course, it's a hard transition, especially when you cook it for others. I'm like, oh, my God, I wonder if it's going to taste good because secondly, I can't taste it. And, you know, you've had my cook and I've cooked meat for you guys, for you before, Vernice. And like, you know, I go for my sense of smell. And if it smells seasoned, it's seasoned enough. And now I'm at the point of... I've had to patent my own, my own Creole essence. So like, you know, and that was like working for my sense of smell, like, you know, the balance of flavor, like you can, if you can smell the heat, it's going to, the heat's going to hit you some way. Should, the heat should never hit you in the front. It always should hit you in the back of your palate. So for me, that was a challenge at first, but that was how I, you know, specialized my cooking because if I'm seasoning food, if once it's cooked, if I can smell the season, it's seasoned enough. If I don't smell a season, that means there's not enough seasoning in it. What about what about you, Gianna? I know that um, I haven't had the pleasure of tasting your food, but I'm looking forward to doing it sometime too, soon. Um, but how does the way that you eat show up in the way that you prepare food for others? Um, so first, 
wanted to say that what both of you were saying about um, food just being passed on through generations, you know, that's something that uh, very much resonates with, uh, with me and um, in my food practice as well. Um, so, you know, I think it's just one of the most, um, one of the ways that I can connect most with my roots. And um, so for me, being vegan, um, I made that choice to go vegan about four years ago. And um, so for me, at first, it was just really, really difficult to find foods that were um, familiar to me, foods that I had, um, you know, that I see as comfort foods and ate growing up. So, you know, I really had to start cooking a lot, uh, a lot more for myself. And so through that, um, you know, there was a point where I was still, um, you know, fully moving into more of a plant-based diet. And so, you know, I would try some things that my parents had made or, you know, that, um, that I would go out and eat, uh, that were, um, similar to the foods that I now make plant-based. And so, um, you know, my earliest memory with that is in, uh, when I was about 13 years old, um, I first wanted to, uh, go vegetarian and my sister was on board with me and we presented the idea to my parents and, you know, it was just kind of like, uh, they put their foot down. Absolutely not. We all eat off the same budget and it's limited. So we're all going to eat the same food. And, you know, so I just kind of put that idea just, you know, out of sight, out of mind, because, you know, what, what they said was the rules. And so, um, you know, I just, I respected that and appreciated, you know, everything that, that my parents were doing just to be able to still cook for us. And so, um, you know, years later, I'm 26 years old now. So I went uh, vegan probably about 10 years after first wanting to go vegetarian. Um, and for me, as I started cooking more vegan meals and researching, especially in researching about uh, decolonizing our diets, I ended up learning that, you know, a lot of these foods that like more recent generations have recognized as being traditional foods, um, you know, a lot of a lot of this was um, brought on later in, um, you know, to indigenous societies. So it was a more colonized way of eating. But, um, you know, originally, so I cook uh, mostly tamales. That's our specialty for somosimias. And um, so I ended up finding out that, you know, originally these were, um, you know, mostly prepared fully um, or mostly plant-based anyway. Um, so uh, tamales are one of the most ancient foods that we can eat. And, you know, something that has just been passed down for centuries. So it's just amazing to, um, you know, just be able to, to know that, like, we're eating these plants that have been gifts to us and to the land um, that have been shared with us, you know, just for, for so long now. And so it's just really cool to be able to um, share that with others and to be able to, um, you know, prepare food in that way. Um, and to learn about gardening techniques too. So I ended up learning about a gardening technique called the Tres Hermanas or Three Sisters gardening technique. And it's when corn is grown in tandem with, um, with beans and with squash. And it's, you know, just one of the most like sustainable gardening practices that, 
is practiced by many different cultures. Um, but you know, especially in, um, you know, here in Texas and in what's now Mexico, you know, something that has just survived for ages. And, um, so, you know, it's just really cool to be able to pay homage to those practices and to be able to share those, you know, just traditions and that, um, and that, um, you know, knowledge with, with other people and to be able to connect in that way. So for me, you know, I was always worried that like the food wasn't going to taste as good to people who still eat meat, but that's one of, um, I think, you know, the greatest compliments that, that we receive on the food is that, you know, it's, uh, people who, who do still eat meat will say, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not vegan, but this food is just good food. And so, you know, it's amazing to be able to uh, connect with people through just simply cooking, you know, what, what they feel is good food. So can you tell us a bit about summer Samias and a little bit of, um, about like what the menu looks like there or when you do your pop-ups, what does the menu look like? Right. So, um, so our pop-ups, uh, we mostly do the tamales and then we have a couple of different options for tacos and sometimes we'll, we'll, we just switch up the menu. You know, we have, um, dishes that are based with, uh, corn, beans, rice. And so we just do a like rotating variety of those staple items that we have. Um, so our, our tacos, most popular taco option has been, um, what we call a Jamaica asada. And it's actually made out of the, um, hibiscus, uh, or roselle calyx flowers. So people are often really surprised to find out that it's made out of hibiscus flowers because it looks similar to like a shredded beef. Um, and, you know, we just kind of prepare it in the same way. We put it in a marinade and it just totally transforms the flavor. And so that's one of our staples. Um, and so that's something that, that we really enjoy preparing for people. We also love to make, um, handmade corn tortillas using um so we love to cook with very vibrant um colors that um you know people are just very attracted to the presentation of the food and then we get to you know just tell them more about it and you know it's just like a surprise throughout like the whole time that they're eating it that it's all made out of plants out of flowers and um so that's something that we really enjoy and then there's the tamales that, you know, we do the rotating variety of those, mostly just based. Um, we we don't really use a lot of the um, processed, like, meat substitutes. You know, every once in a while, we do highlight those in the menu. And we like to offer something to everybody, you know, like people who still eat meat, people who are newly transitioning into plant-based eating. And so, you know, we just try to keep everybody in mind. and um, provide something that everybody will be able to enjoy. Um, so Somos Semillas was started in October of 2017, and it was really just born out of this idea, you know, that it was harder to find things that I was familiar with eating and grew up eating. And so, you know, I was just like, well, this food really isn't available. So the best way to do it is to just make it myself. Um, and so 
uh, I started the business back then with a partner. Um, and so they had a couple of friends who, who ran a pop-up business and those friends who were not really close friends of mine, uh, they were going to be catering a wedding one weekend at one of their regular pop-up locations. And so they just asked us to fill in for them. We didn't have like a set menu. We didn't really have like the pop-up concept together. It was just a dream that we had. And so, you know, that just really was the catalyst for us researching, starting to work on the recipes. And I mean, we were just working, you know, sometimes until five in the morning, six in the morning, just you know, so excited about the opportunity to get to just really do something that we had just, that had just been an idea to us for so long. Um, so that's when Somos Semillas was started. We started with just doing um, very different options of the tamales. And then the menu um, has, you know, we've just added a lot of um, different options to the menu since then. Um, so we serve, um, oh, pozole is one of our other uh, staples, and that's another ancient food um, made with the nixtamalized corn that is um, hominy. And so we just put, you know, just a pure vegetable base um, with different chiles, um, squash, just based on like, you know, the season, we try to utilize that. Um, and we're very inspired by cooking with, you know, what is in season and what's available locally. So tell us what the name means. So the name Somos Semillas means uh, we are seeds. And so it comes from a, a proverb that says, um, I first heard it in Spanish um, and it means they tried to bury us, but they forgot that we were seeds. And I think that's just something that, you know, speaks so much to my personal experience and all of the, um, you know, just different, trials that I've faced growing up and, you know, just different obstacles, different challenges that, you know, so many times I felt that I wasn't going to be able to make it through and have, um, you know, still been able to come out on the other side of those things. And, you know, just in um, community as well as, you know, um, as a community, I feel like, you know, our, our experiences have been similar. Um, whether that be, um, you know, the like queer community, especially with, um, networking with so many other people of color and, you know, just some, having that as something that just really resonates with, with, you know, our struggles as a whole and, you know, what that can mean to each person. So, um, so, you know, most of my greatest opportunities have come out of times that were initially just seen as like, you know, struggles that I didn't think that I could push through. And so, um, you know, that name, that proverb just really, um, stuck with me. And so, you know, I was able to just use that imagery and apply it to what I was doing with the food that I was making. And that's such a beautiful proverb. And like, I just love it. And you're such a wildflower. <laughs> and it makes me think of, of, of Tu Wang Fu. And when Chi Chi says, um, we all grow wild around here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Uh, um, so, L Bunny, LB Woods, tell us a bit about Honeybee Cuisine. And what does the menu look like at Honeybee Cuisine? Okay, so 
<laughs> so honey bee cuisine, how did honey bee cuisine come about? Uh, so when I was in college, um, so if you, if you remind my friends, they know how much I love Beyonce. So that's where the bee actually comes from. Um, you know, I'm such a big Beyonce fan. So, and it's been, you know, forever since the beginning. So one of my friends in college, you know, my nickname has always been Bunny, but one of my best friends in college, she used to always call me Honeybee. That's, she always called me Honeybee. And like one day when I was thinking about it, cause like, you know, I've been cooking for so long and I had been passionate about catering for so long. And I'm like, one day, like in church, I was talking to one of my pastors and they, they kind of talked to us about like, God is the God of gold and silver that, you know, that, you know, he gives you opportunities. Like, you know, he wants you to be plentiful and, you know, not only bless yourself, but bless the church. And like, I'm like, well, I've always wanted to cater. And like, you know, that's always been a passion of mine. You know, it's time for me to do it. So when I got to the place that I wanted to do it, I'm like, well, what's going to be the name of it? I'm like, you know, I'm not sure. And then one day I, it just popped in my head, honeybee. I'm like, honeybee's cuisine. I like the sound of that. So that's where the name actually came from. So for me, honeybee's cuisine is just paying homage to my background. Uh, I'm I'm a African-American male with a French background. Um, I'm Creole. I'm a New Orleans Creole. So I pay homage to New Orleans cuisine and Creole cuisine and Thai and country cuisine, all soul food, all that, all those memories all together with my family. So when I think about my cooking, I think about traditional New Orleans cuisine, like, you know, gumbos and sauce pecans and uh, etouffee and, you know, the list goes on. I can name every single New Orleans and Creole dish there is, but that's just, that's just what it is. So uh, for me, like catering, I do cater and it's not a full-time thing yet, but that's my dream to make it a full-time thing. Uh, I have a full-time job. I also teach dance at the gym. I do, do a lot of different things, but cooking is the one thing that I do enjoy most. So most of my catering happen on, happens on the weekends. Um, and, you know, I haven't put out a menu yet. Uh, like, it's just kind of, right now, it's kind of freestyle. Like, you know, uh, I just go for what people request. And believe it or not, my business actually got grown from Instagram. Uh, uh, there's very popular Instagram, uh, Houston comedian Tim Bay. I, I met him through one of my, uh, one of my, my, my uh, excuse me, one of my gay kids. And he's like, I want to taste your food. I'm like, okay. So I sent him some food and he did a video and then all of a sudden my followers started jumping I started getting all these different requests for cooking even though I was in the beginning process so most of my business comes straight from Instagram I'm at the point now that my website is almost finished uh to do more catering of course it's a little challenging right now with the COVID situation right now but you know people request certain things I guess they just kind of go on the page and request things uh that my Cajun shrimp pasta is like a big old seller. People just love that. And it's so funny how some of my recipes come about. And that's why I think about memories and stories. A lot of a lot of my memories and stories of cooking come from college because some of my greatest recipes have coming from being at home and not wanting to go to the store and just making something with that, with making a dish out of the ingredients only I have at the house. And I tell people all the time, if you only knew what went into this Cajun shrimp pasta, you would bust out laughing, but people love it so much. And it's a very simple recipe, but a lot of my recipes have come from when I was in college and not wanting to go to the store and basically like 
I'm hungry and I can cook, but I can make a meal out of something I already have. And that's how some of my best recipes have come about. So I'm in the process of, you know, making my website go live, hopefully in May. I've been pushed, pushed it back with this COVID situation going on. Uh, but most of my business have come from Instagram, what I'm, I'm really thankful for that I've just post up there and people hit me up and like, Hey, can you cater this even for me? Hey, I want to order this pasta. I have a neighbor who orders this Cajun shrimp pasta, like seem like every three weeks, like it's crazy. Like people are obsessed with this pasta and like, it always makes me think about the memories. I remember being at home on a Friday after school and didn't feel like going to the grocery store and basically came up with a recipe from what I had in the house. And every time I cook certain things, I always, I always think about that, like how some of these recipes have come about and how the memories, I think about the memories and the gatherings that I've had with friends and family just cooking and uh, another recipe that people like my shrimp and grits. Another crazy story how that came about. Friends were coming, friends were coming in town and I forgot about it. And I'm like, oh my God, it's a Saturday. What am I going to make for them? And went from what I had in the house. And it's, I would say that's my specialty, my shrimp and grits with andouille tomato jam. It's something that people just are obsessed with. And, you know, I always think about, for me, my business and my story of my passion for cooking always is a full circle from the memories I've made with friends and family off my passion and my love for food. But isn't it just so beautiful? That's kind of like how Creole cuisine kind of got its, its start. Like individuals just taking what they had available and using that to prepare meals of love for families and friends. I think that's just the history of that legacy of food. That's so true. Uh, just going to chime in. Like people, when people think about gumbo and stuff, people don't know the history. Like it goes all the way back to slavery. Like these, these pots of food were made from scraps. They were made from scraps. You know, like people don't realize even a sandwich, the po' boy sandwich, the po' boy sandwich originated, it originated in New Orleans and it was called the po' boy because it was sandwiches made for, street the people who work by construction and like on street cars and they will give them food and they will like say hey po boy come get come get some food that's how the name originated po boy it came from feeding poor you know, poor men working in the street that the restaurants would feed them bread take a sandwich take a piece of bread and meat and give them a sandwich but that's how po boy originated and a lot of the history and the culture behind a lot of foods especially new orleans food comes from slavery and that's just traditions you know taught to us and you know spoken generation after generation and like you know even when you Vernis mentioned about the pot. Like, I remember some of the pots my grandmother used that we still have from cooking. Like, you know, it's always that one pot that they would cook gumbo in or that, that one thing that they would, they would use the same exact thing. I always remember my grandmother, and I'm sorry if I sound like I'm rambling, a cast iron skillet. And we'll always say, you don't wash that, you wipe that out. All the season is in the pan. Mm-hmm. So I think about all those traditions and memories, and that's why... I always hashtag, like I said, doing the thing I love away from everyone because that's the place I can connect with my family and memories that I've made just from doing something that's making a meal for someone. Whenever you want to show someone love or respect or invite them in, what is the one thing um, that you cook for them, Gianna? Um, So the one thing that I would say that I cook 
more often in that way than anything else would be the um, pozole, which is a traditional uh, Mexican style stew, um, which I had mentioned earlier, you know, is another ancient recipe. And that's something that's just, um, you know, one of the uh, most flexible recipes that I have, but also consistent. So it, you know, just depending on what I have available, it's something that I can, you know, just whip up and change the different uh, veggies that are in it. And, um, you know, it still ends up coming out with just, you know, just the same um, flavor and, uh, you know, something that's just very comforting to a lot of people, even people who didn't grow up eating it. Um, so, you know, it's just something that is uh, for sure a staple and something that is just you know, I, I make it for friends often, you know, just make a huge batch of it, fill up a little container for them, have them, you know, come by and pick it up. And, um, you know, it's just one of the things that, you know, I have a couple of friends who just really look forward to that every time that I make it. And, you know, my family as well, who grew up eating uh, pozole that had meat in it. And, you know, we traditionally ate um, a pozole rojo, which is with a red chile based broth. And, um, the one that I make is a green chile based broth. And so, you know, it's something that's, um, you know, newer to my family, but, um, you know, also just still very comforting and familiar. So that's for sure a go-to for, uh, for, for me. And I just want to point out that I love pasole. You just add mm-hmm. a lime to it. It's quite delicious. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's quite delicious. Um, mm-hmm. What about you, LB? Okay, well, it depends on the season. So if my friends are visiting, our family is visiting, just say around uh, September, October, September, October, the request is definitely gumbo. The request is definitely gumbo. Anytime, if it falls between September, going to maybe January, if they're coming over, they want gumbo. They definitely want gumbo. And where I'm from, you know, you have to have potato salad with gumbo. I know that sounds weird to people, but where I'm from in New Orleans, you you have to have, yes, you have to have potato salad as a side with gumbo. And people like crackers. I'm like, where I'm from, potato salad is always a side. So that's one thing people request a lot. Uh, like I said, the shrimp and grits with andouille tomato jam, uh, my friends request a lot. And of course, that shrimp pasta that people are obsessed with. Now, my gay sons, uh, one of my sons, I call him fat. Um, uh, he is so funny. So when he was in school, when we were in school, I met I met my son while we were in, in college. Like, you know, of course, he's much a few years younger than I am. And, uh, you know, when he came out the closet, um, his mom was like, you know, she wasn't that kind. And that's, you know, I'll just leave it at that. So he moved. He wanted to move in with me. And he worked at this call center in uh, Baton Rouge. And every night he came home, he always wanted a hot meal. He always wanted a hot meal and he loved rice and gravy. So when he moved in with me in the, in the matter of the first three months, he had gained like 35 pounds because he was always eating this heavy food late at night. And I'm, I remember one recipe and this is something that he always requests. Uh, and it's something I, and I haven't made it in a long time. It's called bunny rice. So I call it bunny rice. And he was coming home from work and I hadn't went to the store how funny how that's always the situation. I hadn't gone to the store. He was like, well, I'm about to get off of work. Uh, you know, you have a plate ready for me. So I remember I had some pork chops in the refrigerator. So I just braided them and fried them. I'm like, well, what, what can he have with these pork chops? So I had some white, I had some rice cooked. 
I had some smoked sausage and shrimp in a refrigerator. I'm like, hmm, what can I do with that? So I hurry up and cut, cut up some onions, bell pepper, and celery, and I sauteed that. I, I had some bacon, too. So I took the bacon first. I fried the bacon down. Then I used the oil from the braised bacon. This was something very fattening. I, <laughs> I fried the bacon, and I used the fat from the bacon to saute the vegetables. Then I add the smoked sausage and saute that in there also. Then I seasoned the shrimp and add the shrimp and mixed it and like it kind of made like almost like a, a almost like a sauce consistency. So then I added the rice and kind of fried the rice in and it became bunny rice. So every time he comes here, this this has been what I've been out of college for some years now. He always requests bunny rice, bunny rice. He is obsessed with this bunny rice. Fried pork chops and bunny rice. But of course, he loves rice and gravy too. So it depends on the person. It depends on the friends. Um, you know, some of my friends, like, and I had to shock them. Um, I went to London and Paris. I went to London and Paris in January. Uh, me and a couple of my friends, uh, we go on trips every year. So I kind of shocked them. So I'm like, I'm going to make some... Um, I'm going to make some Salisbury steak and gravy, and I did some mashed potatoes and corn, but I used meat substitute. <laughs> they were so shocked. I'm like, you know you're not eating meat. They was like, what? And they, were, they, they just loved it. So it depends on a friend and a family member, and depends on the season. So, But the gumbo, the bunny rice, and the shrimp and grits when they do it, tomato jam are the top three that people request the most when they come to visit me. Okay. So what was the first thing that you learned how to cook, Bunny? The first thing I learned how to cook, I was five, it was meatballs and spaghetti. And I remember stuffing stuffing meatballs with shrimp with my grandmother. Because, you know, in New Orleans, we put seafood in everything. So uh, I remember as a kid, vividly, like around, I was probably like five or six years old. And the first thing I learned how to cook was meatballs and spaghetti. What about you, Gianna? What was the first thing you learned how to cook? Uh, so this is pretty funny, but for me, it was meatballs, too. Um, that was one of my dad's specialties when I was growing up. And, you know, my uh, siblings and I would help uh, help my dad prepare the meatballs and, you know, just sit there and roll them out. And um, it was just one of the most exciting things for us to make because it was something that we could do with him. And, you know, we would um, we would all just have a lot of fun doing that. Um, so that meatballs and um Roasted corn as well is just one of the earliest things that I remember helping with in the kitchen. And it's something, it's so simple, but uh, one of my like fondest memories that I have to this day is just um, sitting around like a, a giant bin with, uh, with my brother and my sisters. And, you know, we would all just shuck the corn and pull the silks out. And that was, you know, to us just a really fun time and a, a contribution that we could make. And uh, still, you know, one of my favorite foods. And I have some pictures of uh, my siblings and I just sitting, you know, eating the whole roasted corn together. So, you know, that's still one that uh, that I remember as being like the earliest, earliest uh, food memories for me, too. So, I, you guys, I'm going to share a very funny story with y'all. So, one of my early experiences around, like, cooking. Um, so, I was, for a short period of time, I was a latchkey kid. Um, cause my mom worked and she was going to night school and, uh, I remember one day being hungry and it was like, of course, if I cook me something to eat, I have to cook my little sister something to eat. Um, so I was cooking, like boiling us some sausages, um, to have as like a little 
dinner or so. And so I remember my mom calling like, hey, I'm about to come get you guys and we're going to go to Walmart. So my mom comes and she picks us up and we go to Walmart. We come back home and like my mom is starting to take the stuff up to the house and she can already see like the house, like (laughs) windows are like really, really smoky. So basically when she came and picked us up, I forgot to turn off the stove. And so um, basically all of the water had boiled out of the pots um, and the sausage had begun to like fry in the skillet and like the whole house was full of smoke. My mom was so upset with me and it wasn't my intent to like try to burn down the house or anything. It was just, I was excited and I I forgot. And that was, like, one of my first experiences around, like, cooking. And it took my mom to, like, trust me, like, a while to trust me with, like, cooking after that. And But it was so funny to me, that experience. And I remember telling someone else the story recently. And I just wanted to share that with you guys. I, I just think that was that was funny to me. Um, so one other thing before we head on up out of here. Um, so I love Food Network, and they do this this show on Food Network, the best thing I've ever ate. So I want to ask you guys, what's the best thing you've ever ate? What's the best thing you ever ate, Gianna? Um, So the first thing that comes to mind as the best thing I ever ate is a dish that my dad used to prepare. Um, It's called carne guisada. And it's um, just chunks of beef in a gravy. And, you know, it just usually includes like tomatoes or, uh, you know, everybody has their own way of preparing it. And my dad's was always my favorite. I would try it at different restaurants and never found one that I liked. So I think, you know, it's just something that, um, you know, that's the way that I knew that it tasted and everything else was not right to me. But, you know, then growing up, um, you know, just realizing that, you know, people have different ways of preparing these dishes. But, you know, when I was a kid, it was just like, nope, no, this is not it. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's something that I that I do always, um, you know, remember as a favorite food and something that, you know, I don't think I could ever try to replicate as a vegan dish, um, you know, because so much of that flavor just really comes from the meat um, stewing for so long with all of those other flavors. Um, so, you know, it's something that I am always going to miss when people, you know, ask me like, Oh, like what was the hardest thing for you to give up? Um, you know, that's for sure. One of the things that, that always comes to mind. Hmm. Oh, have you tried to replicate it with like, maybe like eggplant or, um, portobello mushrooms? I haven't yet. And for sure, eggplant and mushrooms for sure are one of just the, you know, go-to things, um, with the meatiness and even like the fatty kind of flavor that they carry into other dishes. But with that one dish, that's, you know, like mushrooms are absolutely a staple in all of the vegan meals that I make, um, or, you know, just a really like high number of them. But, you know, I still feel like that's one that would be really tricky to just get it right. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Understandable. But, yeah, I would definitely, um, you know, be open to trying it out, though. <laughs> Bunny. Oh, my God. I, I, I don't want to get emotional. And you kind of also you also kind of challenged me. Um, my grandmother, my grandmother passed away in 1994. So this was some years ago. 
I was I was 12 years old. Uh, my grandmother used to make this dish once a year for Thanksgiving. She used to make this oyster dressing and she made it with rice. I don't know how she cooked it. And that's the one thing I never learned from her. And now it's like, you're making me, I feel like you're challenging me to try to replicate the dish. But that's the one thing. And I remember it like yesterday and like I'm 37 years old. So that was 25 years ago that she passed away. And it just sits in my head because that's the one thing I didn't learn from her. And she made it once a year or it was her oyster dressing. And she used to cook it in the same, this big old uh, cast iron old skillet, but it was like a big one. It was a deep one. And she would only make it once a year. And that's the best thing I've ever ate in my life, ever. So I think it's time for me to try to make, I've never ever, ever tried to make it, but I think it's time for me to try to make it. I have faith in you and I believe that you can do it. I have faith. Um, and, and I can empathize with that. My, my mom, um, oldest sister passed away in like, um, 2014, 2013. Um, and during the holidays, it was three things that she was always known to make. Um, and that was broccoli and cheese casserole, pound cake, sake to me cake. So I have been on a mission over the past maybe like two or three years to try to like cultivate those things because I noticed that when we have holidays, you can kind of tell that that's missing. It's like my cousins, they still come to dinner and things like that, but the contribution, the representation of their mom isn't present. And so I would like to like bring that to them because believe it or not, I've been in the kitchen plenty of times when my aunt made her broccoli and cheese casserole and when she made her socket to me cakes. So while I may not have everything down packed as to how she did it, I do have some of the knowledge. So I've been on a mission to do that for my family and I would encourage you to do the same. I also want to thank both of you guys for joining us today. Please, before we head out, tell the people how they can find you guys via social media. Let's go with you, Gianna. Uh, so we are on social media. Uh, we have Facebook and Instagram. And for both of those, you can type somos.semillas. And so it's S-O-M-O-S dot S-E-M-I-L-L-A-S. And so that's the best way to get in touch with us. Um, you know, we've had a lot of requests to... Um, you know, still just be putting some food out during this time. We did have to, you know, take a little hiatus, but we're working on ways to get back in the game despite, you know, everything that's going on currently. Um, you know, as long as we can do so safely, we're, you know, really excited to to get back to work. And, um, you know, even with everything going on, we're still connecting with, uh, with our followers and sharing uh, recipes and things like that. So for sure would look forward to Anybody who wants to reach out and, um, you know, we, we do get requests sometimes to share, you know, some simple recipes and things like that, too. So, you know, we're more than happy to, to do that. All right, Bunny, tell other people how they can find you on social media. <laughs> so right now, uh, Honey Beast Cuisine is only on Instagram. So Honey Beast Cuisine, that's H-O-N-E-Y-B-S Cuisine on Instagram. But of course, you can find me on Facebook, LB Coneja Woods. Uh, the website should be going live in a couple of months. So I'm excited about that. Uh, be looking out for that. But you can definitely find me on Instagram. 
All right. Well, there you have it, people. Make sure you guys check them out via the social media accounts and enjoy the food that they prepare. Thank you guys for being my guest today. And I enjoy both of you guys. What a yummy episode. Um, all this talking about food has me hungry. <laughs> uh, I just ate, so I'm very full. But yes. I can always eat. <laughs> <laughs> the limit does not exist. No. Yeah, it was an excellent episode. Thank you all for coming on and talking. So Vernus asked a really interesting question for the guests on the show. And they had asked both of them, what's the most delicious thing that you've ever eaten? And I think that would be really fun to sort of answer that for ourselves too, right? And yeah, sure. Uh, you go first. Yeah. So I think the so the most delicious thing I've ever eaten is something that's super simple, but I can't really recreate it is uh, my mama, who I call my abuela, um, for breakfast sometimes. Um, you know, she was a seamstress. She worked long hours, and she still got up and did her thing and, like, made me food in the mornings and made sure I was, like, good, right? But sometimes she would just make something as simple as, like, black beans with crema and queso and, like, you know, Salvadorian um, queso and Salvadorian crema. And... It's so easy and simple, but it just feels like home for me. Like it just, it's a comfort food. And even though it's just something that's super easy, for some reason, like I can't just like recreate it the way that she did it. You know, it's literally just a can of Goya beans and getting the crema and the queso from like the fiesta, like down the street. But it just doesn't taste the same, you know? Um, So I think for me, that's the most delicious thing as far as like the taste, but also the feeling that I get from eating it. Like there's no other food that I can eat that makes me feel the way that I would have for frijoles, you know? Mm-hmm. What about y'all? For me, I don't know. I don't think you can really narrow down. I've had so many good fucking delicious food from everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but I just like, I guess what I can think of, like, when I, I really love oysters, so, like, I can fuck that shit up all day. Um, (laughs) But I really love, like, barbacoa tacos. Like, I think the first time I tried them were in San Antonio from this, like, really popular restaurant. I can't even remember the name. But Mm. I was like, what the fuck is this? Because I've never had it before. It was the first time I had it. This Mm -hmm. is when I was, like, little. Um, Mm -hmm. And I went to San Antonio for the first time with a friend Mm -hmm. and her family. And so... They took us to this restaurant and I tried it and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And ever since then, I've always like, yeah, barbacoa tacos. But I'm trying really mm-hmm. hard to like cut down on meat these days just because of everything. Um, mm-hmm. And our bodies can't even process it, apparently. So, yeah, I do miss eating barbacoa tacos. I miss tacos in general. New York doesn't really <laughs> have good tacos. so Oh, rip. Yeah. But I would say that and maybe gumbo. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i love gumbo oh my god i could go for some gumbo right now so i guess you can do like captain yeah. tom's in houston if y'all have ever been there i haven't it's like this boat looking restaurant there's only two locations off 1960 and oh i know which one i know what it looks like i i never went inside to eat but i used to pass by it all the time i just love it their gumbo is good and they're food that they serve is delicious amazing delicious 
Uh, what about you, Indisha? My favorite food, or the best food I've ever tasted, I love, love, love a juicy soup. It's this, uh, like, Nigerian dish um, with, like, I don't even know what's in it. It's like spinach and some other spices, a bunch of other stuff. I need to learn how to make it because I can't find it anywhere in Portland, of course. And you dip it with in like this thing called fufu, which is like this dough. Mm-hmm. So it's like soup and dough. And it usually comes with different types of meat, but I'm not really into the type of meat that they serve with it. I've never had been. Like I've been eating this stuff since I was a little girl. I've always had it like without meat. Mm-hmm. But that and... um uh, okra stew. I really like Nigerian food. There's something about it that just feels right. Mm. I think it's because I'm like half Nigerian and it just feels like I like that you eat with your hands and I like that it's like a very like social meal and mm-hmm. it's like super casual and you just get super messy while you're eating it. But it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, most Nigerian like soup based foods and also gumbo. But I think gumbo came from that. Oh. Type of cooking, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. like it's a mix of like both Creole and African traditions. Mm-hmm. I think I want to say that's right, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm really yeah, it, it, it's it. considered as B's talking about, like you know, like this is what slaves used to make to hold on to eat, you know, to have for a while and to be able to do mm-hmm. a batch mm-hmm. of food for a lot of people you know like and exactly. that's what now yeah and it's like yeah um, and it's like western african food so it's like closest to the coast so i'm pretty sure yeah um, two things crossed over and stuff like a goosey soup and okra soup uh somehow became gumbo right so don't quote me on that but <laughs> yeah i was really yeah i was gonna say that um i learned a lot from bees like interview too you know about mm-hmm. because of a lot of food i kept calling them honeybees so whoops my bad um <laughs> it's fine it's a super cute nickname i love yeah. it <laughs> like okay well i'm gonna call you honeybee because you're really cute um <laughs> um but what was i gonna say what was the name of that soup you mentioned indisha it's um igusi mm-hmm. i'm gonna see if i can yeah. around here uh, yeah, I need to. Um, there is an African story here that like has like the uh, the ingredients for it. I just need to look it up and make it because I've been craving it so bad and I didn't get it when I went to Houston. Mm-hmm. I was so mm-hmm. stuck on getting crawfish when I last mm-hmm. visited. <laughs> yeah, I really miss crawfish, but I also miss that too. So I think I'm gonna have to make some here. Yeah, that's the one thing yeah. I miss the most about the South is crawfish. Really, I like no. Now that yeah. everything's happening, I can't have that, and that sucks. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, especially so with all this stuff, like, with food and everything that's happening right now, I know that there's people doing, like, food banks and coming together to do, like, survival kits and, like, food kits for people who can't really afford to eat. And so, like, being able to just, like, talk about, you know, what we have and what we can do. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, other people can't even you know, like get food or it's hard for them to like find the proper food or, or just even have a place to cook it. If y'all are listening, find your local food bank and donate, like organize with people and get things out. But I'm sure people are already on it. Like donate money. Yeah. People can find meals and, or you can even, I know that there's like restaurants in Houston right now that are giving out free meals. So that's pretty sweet to like innovize the kitchen. Yeah. I will say that I really love the community care that's happening right now. Like, I really love how people are like coming up and really 
excuse me, really taking care of each other, whether if that means donating food or, you know, doing a grocery store trip for somebody or like making sort um those those masks. Like I started picking up on how to make those masks just because of my partner but now i have friends who are like hey like could you actually make me one because those are so hard to come by right coffee filters inside your masks yeah i've been um so on the internet they said that hvac filters are the best ones but what i've been using too is that material that you use from like cloth grocery bags they said that those are really really good too and that coffee filters are like mostly fine but that the best kinds are going to be obviously the hvac filters Mm -hmm. But then, like, I have a ton, a ton of grocery cloth bags that I don't use regularly because I have, you know, these one green bags I use for, um, they're insulated, so I use those. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, okay, well, if, you know, if this is good material to use as a filter, then I'm just going to use it for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank y'all so much for tuning in. And you know, I'm real. I'm really hoping that everyone is staying safe and well. Please wash your hands and practice social distancing, and make sure you stay hydrated. And you know, find ways to keep yourself grounded and connected. Because I know everyone is feeling this pandemic uh, in so many different ways. And so I think that we need to make sure we're reminding ourselves that you know we there is support for us and that people are out there you know looking out for each other yeah so i am julian my and i'm mindy also don't forget y'all to check us out on facebook which is veer queer podcast our twitter veer underscore wow veer underscore queer hdx um and don't forget and also don't forget to check out spectrum south uh we are a spectrum south podcast and they also have some really great articles on the um on their online publication as well All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Veer Queer is a Spectrum South podcast hosted by Julian Gomez, Mai Ha, and Andesha Haynes with interviews by Kevin Anderson, Vernis McFarlane, DeAndre Moore, and Melanie Termina Payne. Series produced and edited by Danny Benoit. Episodes are released bi-weekly. Be sure to subscribe to Veer Queer on iTunes and Spotify. Episodes are also available at SpectrumSelf.com. Visit SpectrumSelf.com to learn more.